0: I can tell Nicole Havlicek of Primetime Pickleball does a lot of teaching both on the court and through her Dominating Doubles course. She goes in-depth today on a few, what I would call, myths of pickleball. Things where, you know, you've got other players giving you some advice and it may not always be the right thing. So this is a must-listen-to episode. Let's get to the intro to hear from Nicole. (laughs) Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, Nicole Havlicek. How are you doing this morning?
1: I'm good, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me on. Really happy to be here.
0: I have just been so looking forward to having you on because. I know you have some great instructional videos and content out there, but before we go down that path, tell me about how you got involved in pickleball and how long ago that was.
1: Sure. Yeah. So maybe about, let's see, it's the timeline always gets fuzzy, but maybe about five or so years ago, I had a, I was very involved in tennis and coaching tennis and I had an academy and my really first time I laid eyes on people playing pickleball was they had just started like a casual rec play right before my academy was scheduled to start. So I'd be my partner coach and I'd be there with um, our kids waiting to, to go on the courts. And we see this new game that we'd never seen before. And we're like, do you know what that is? Do you know what that is? <laughs> we're like, no. So that went on for a little bit. Cause we were, you know, very focused on getting our academy started since we were <clears throat> about to head on. But a few Few times after that happened, I got to chatting with the organizer. She explained more about it to me, and so I didn't really, I didn't try it at that time. Like I was just so busy with tennis, and for whatever reason, I I wasn't hooked on it quite yet. But then a few months later, I went to coach a tennis like getaway type. Uh, sorry, yeah, a tennis getaway event in Mexico. I believe it was. I think it was like Acapulco. And on the retreat, there was just this group of really avid pickleball players. And they pickleball was not part of the activities that were scheduled, but they had talked to the organizers of the retreat and they got permission to draw lines with chalk on the tennis courts to do pickleball. And uh, they had brought all their own equipment, all their own paddles, all their own balls. The resort didn't have any. And I was the tennis coach there. And so they invited me to play. And I did play and I said, you know, I might as well give this a try. It looks like fun. And oh my gosh, it was so much fun. So I played for the, for most of the days that I was on the retreat. I think it was about a seven day retreat. And I maybe, they maybe finally talked me into it on the second or third day. And uh, it was, yeah, it was a ton of fun. But Like I said, I was still very deeply in, involved in coaching tennis and my schedule was jam packed. So when I got back to the States, I did that and but shortly thereafter we were opening pickleball courts at our club we had a grand opening event for the courts a lot of people came jordan came and that's the first time i met jordan brionis who we would then he and i would then go on to uh, co-found primetime pickleball and so i was helping with the event i knew a little bit more about pickleball at the time i come from a deep tennis playing background. I played division one tennis at UC Berkeley and I hit with him a bit. And he's like, Oh, you clearly have good strokes that could lend themselves well to pickleball. Why don't you come and play with my group on Fridays? And so I started doing that and I would go every Friday and I just got hooked. And then I I would, I'd meet up with him during the week. So I was playing maybe two times a week, sometimes three, and it's all history from there. (laughs)
0: Wow. So that sounds like quite a ride. You said five years ago, it was the new game, which actually it wasn't because it's been around for so long. It's amazing how long it took to filter into your world because I know it took a long time to filter into my world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When I say new, I really meant new to me. Like I know, I have come to learn obviously more about the history and how it started on Bainbridge Island. And yeah, so it's been around a long time. And now that I'm, I'm so involved in it, I do uh, friends tell me, oh, they I played it in elementary school or high school. And I was like, wow, really? Like I just never crossed paths with cross paths with it once up until maybe five years ago. That's just funny.
0: Now, one thing that you said too is you were a very high-level tennis player. Obviously, if you're doing you're taking people down to Mexico, and there are so many people who come into pickleball from tennis. And actually, I've got a good friend I'm playing with here in Arizona. And she had been playing just tennis prior to starting pickleball and, and now she's mostly playing pickleball, but it, it's really interesting because it can be really hard for tennis players sometimes to transition to that, that next level where they're going beyond playing tennis on a pickleball court. What was some of the key things that, that you learned that helped the transition beyond kind of the obvious dink and, and third shots?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that I think definitely helped me with my transition is that in tennis, I was very much an all-court player, and I was constantly trying to get to the net. I really had good volleys and a pretty big serve, so I could make my way up there more more frequently than most, and that was just where it was best for me to be. So that I think that helped me a lot in the transition <clears throat> with dinking and dropping, because I already could hit a drop shot. And I already was comfortable taking balls out of the air and slowing them down and speeding them up. So that helped me tremendously. Let's see. I will say that like when I went out there, pickleball strategy, there's a lot of similarities to tennis, but there's also a lot of big differences. So I was really just taking, I was taking all the advice I could get from people that I could see were good. And a lot of it was maybe it was helpful to a point. And then I would just do it like it was a rule. And there were areas where maybe I should have been doing something differently. For example, like I was told when someone speeds the the ball up on you, you're going to reset it. Like all the best players, just if they get attacked or hit hard to in some kind of offensive way, you're just going to drop it into the, to the kitchen. So I could do that. But at the level I was playing at, people could speak low balls quite easily. So they were just attacking me again and again. And I had no (laughs) counterattack. I could counterattack because I had the skill, but I just didn't know to do it. So because I was told if you drop it and get it low, you'll be fine. And I was doing that. And then I just kept getting attacked relentlessly again by, by people that were good at attacking from below the net. And at one point, Jordan said to me, like, hey, Nicole, like, whenever you get attacked, you drop it. Do you realize that or you reset it every time? And I'm like, yeah, (laughs) because someone told me to do that. And he's like, okay, well, you probably shouldn't. You should, when you get attacked and you get a kind of a higher contact or even a net high or just slightly below net high to above that, just go ahead and and rip it right back low at them. And I was like, okay, that sounds like a great idea. So I did that. And I just all of a sudden improved like like night and day. So it was just interesting that you have to really take the advice that you're getting with a grain of salt, because it's not necessarily wrong. It's just, you have to be discerning about when you apply it. Because in pickleball, like if anyone tells you a black and white answer, Mm -hmm. it's really, it can't be that way. Like it always depends on the situation. So I, luckily I figured that out early on because tennis is the same. Like you can't play, you might play a certain person one way, and another person a totally different way. So, I hope that answers the question. I possibly went off on a tangent there.
0: No, that was perfect, and actually, what I was looking for because I know you've got a course out there called "Dominating Doubles," and you've got on the web page there some dinosaur kind of strategies and, and tactics where you know, again, like you're talking about. Things are not black and white, certainly in in tennis or, or pickleball. But I wanted to go through a couple of them because I think they're really interesting to talk about. Because like you said, people give each other what they think is good advice all the time, but it doesn't necessarily always fit the situation.
1: hundred percent. I agree with that.
0: So I was going to actually start from deep in the court. Probably a lot of people hear that the third shot serve, you get a return. It's a third shot the ball has to bounce first. And people will say you should always hit a third shot drop. Well, okay, we're, we're talking about it. It's never black and white. So tell me a little bit about the situations where you should hit a third shot drop, and then one where you might drive the ball or do something else.
1: Yeah, sure. So and the, what I'm about to say too, is also on the way out, which is two things that people I've I heard them say quite a lot is just get the serve in and just get the return in. So that, if someone's just if if you're playing an opponent that's just getting the serve and just getting the return in, then you probably will have be able to drop that third because they're not really attacking you with the return. So that's a good time to drop most of the time, unless they happen to hit a very good return. So the whole goal in in pickleball, just like in tennis and kind of any like court sport where there's a net is you're trying to advance your team. You want to get to the net. Your team, both of you want to advance to the net if, as together and get there as quickly as possible, preferably before the other team gets up there. Because from up there, you have the most amount of angles to do damage with. You can intercept the ball. You take the most amount of time away from your opponents. So that is really the most offensive place to be. And because of the the, the kitchen rule, where you can't volley in the in the kitchen, that strategy of just barely getting it over to the net into the kitchen, and so that it doesn't bounce high is really effective. Cause when you people have to hit it from close to the net with a low contact, they it's extremely difficult for them to attack. You. So that's if you can, if you're back in the court and you can't hit a good drop that you can then advance into the net behind, that's gonna be very difficult to attack you with that next shot. Then you want to do that basically as soon as you possibly can. And if you can reasonably do it on the third shot because the return's not pressing you in in some kind of way, then do it. Unless you can attack that ball, number one, that's one caveat. If they hit a terrible return and you can rip it low and come in behind that with an offensive approach to the net, then do that. But if you can only really just use that shot to let help you get to the net and not necessarily do damage while you're doing that, then that's okay too. And then probably the other time where I'd recommend a drive, because the drop is really, it's a tough shot. And if you have to, it's best if you're stepping into it, if you're falling back in any kind of way or moving to the side as you're hitting, it's going to be tough to execute a really good unattackable drop. So you might want to To rip that one low and do a third shot drive and then possibly drop the next one. Or maybe if that fifth shot was tough to drive it again low and drop the seventh one and come in. You're really using that drop as your ticket to the net. It's really not a whole lot more than that. So if you are able to attack that shot and you're not in the net and you think you're gonna do damage, then great, do it. That's a great time. And if you're being pressed, that's another great time to hit low and try to earn yourself one that you can drop and come in. And that's how I would think about it. There's layers to it.
0: There definitely, I was mentioning that I'm here in Arizona playing with a friend of mine and she has a great serve return. It's not only hard, but it's a, a slice shot. It, it stays very low. And I know that's how a lot of the pros actually return the ball as that, or that drive slice that does stay low. What's the best way to hit a third shot drop in that situation or a third shot in that situation?
1: Yeah, those kind of knifing slices returns. Those are really effective for the returner and really tough on you because they don't, come through the court as fast as like a flat drive would, but they have some backspin bite to them. So it gives them a little bit more time to get to the net and, and then it stays really low on you. So it's hard to get under that and hit a beautiful drop. You can, it's definitely doable. So you want to practice your drops and your resets. That's probably the number one thing you should be spending your time on is how to hit a slow soft shot into the kitchen. That's definitely should be the biggest chunk of your practice in my in my opinion i think most pros will tell you the same thing so it, you can do it and definitely practice it to get better at dealing with better returns and still being able to drop them but sometimes they're just like so good and they're they hit the line the baseline or like a few inches from the line that's going to be just too tough to drop and because you're so far and even if you're able to get a successful like a, a drop in it'll be pretty high because you're sending it quite a distance. So it's going to bounce high. So in my opinion, you're just better off kind of driving it back or with slice or top or a flat kind of, it doesn't really matter. As long as you keep it low, that's the key. You want to be driving your shots low over the net. So practice those as well. Cause if you hit it high, then they're going to just start attacking you. And as the serving team, you're already both back, So you're going to be in a defensive scramble from there. So as long as you're good at ripping it and keeping it low, there's a good chance you're going to buy yourself a droppable opportunity on the next shot or the one after.
0: So let's go ahead and talk about the next shot. Another one of the items that you had in your list was never be in no man's land. And first I want to ask about that is in tennis, there is definitely a no man's land. Is there really that in pickleball?
1: Yeah, that's been the subject for debate as of late. Yeah, in tennis, you really because the the court is so big, you really don't want to spend any time in that transition zone except for one shot. You're gonna hit your, you're gonna hit your approach shot, maybe one volley from that area, and then you have to get to the net. In pickleball, the court is much smaller, so you can take your time to get up to the net. You don't want to hit it and run in number one, that takes a lot of energy. So if you're hitting, if they're hitting really good returns and you're hitting your drops from really far back, then you're sprinting quite a ways, like every point. So it takes a lot of energy. Number one, number two, you probably can't get there in time because the ball travels faster than you. So by the time they're hitting it, you're it's rare that you're going to be really well positioned right up the line. So you can take your time. You can hit, it's like slow approach, like hit one shot from the transition zone and then a second shot from the transition zone and then complete your transition. If you're hitting pretty good drops, like that's the key. You have to be hitting drops that are good to great. They can't be floaters because if you're hitting a good drop, the ball is going to come back towards you. They're not going to be hitting that towards the line or threading the needle through the middle of both of you. You're going to be able to make a play on that next shot, which is why you need to practice your resets from that area so that you can take your time getting to the net. So you can conserve a better energy, be stable and balanced as you get to the net. Cause as we've been saying, returns and serves and returns are getting deeper and better. So to complete that transition with only one shot out of the transition zone is tough. And you really don't have to do it because the court is so much more, if you, with some practice, you can get quite good at digging balls out of that transition zone and make a successful transition to the net most of the time.
0: All right. Well, that is definitely more really great advice. And in, in thinking about once you do maybe hit a couple drops, as you move through the transition zone, you move up and you're at the non volley zone where you want to be, but oops, you or your partner hit a high ball. What should you be doing? Should you stay at that line and kind of hold your ground, or does it make more sense to move back?
1: Yeah, that's another good one. I was, again, I was told get up to the line and stay up there toes up at the line no matter how terrible your shot is just dig in and do your best to dig it out but don't move back and I totally disagree with that at this point I tried it at first and I'm like this just doesn't seem right and I would never do this in tennis either I would stay take a couple steps back I wouldn't retreat like dramatically but you need to if you hit a terrible shot at the kitchen and we're all going to do it it's going to keep happening because it just happens sometimes like we're no matter how much you practice you are going to eventually you know flub one up you need to give yourself more time there's no point in staying up at the line and there's a drive coming and you're going to give yourself very little reaction time drop back quick I would say take Two, as big as you can, quick steps back and then split step with your weight leaning slightly forward and then dig it out from there. You're back to where you were. You're, you have to, you've lost your ground and you have to hit some good shots to reclaim it. So that's why I keep coming back to, you want to be drilling out of that transition zone. And I I love game-based drills because they're so much more fun. It's everything more fun when you're keeping score. You want to spend so much of your time dropping, resetting, blocking out of that transition zone. When you think about it, drops, resets, and blocks are all very closely married together. A drop is just basically when you're not being attacked. it's You have a more neutral type of ball to drop on. And the other two, you're being attacked. But you're still it's you're still taking pace off the ball. That's the common thread that goes through all of those shots. And uh, lends itself a bit back to my previous point. And again, which is you're drilling out of that zone. And it is, Lynn, you tell me, don't you find it extremely intimidating when you play against a really good defender and really good defenders are ones where they will take their time to get up to the net from the transition because they're not afraid of missing their drop or they're not worried that they they won't make it or that someone will hold to get a shot. They're going to drop, drop, come in if they get attacked. They're not afraid to dig out a few. They're confident that nothing is going to get by them. Don't you find that that's just, I, I personally am like, man, if I come up against a great defender, you're just going to have to win that point like three times before you win it because you'll hit like a great shot. They'll dig it out. You'll hit another great shot. They'll dig it out. And you were in the driver's seat the whole point, And then they managed to steal it from you. They'll come out of their defense. They'll do great digs, and then they'll attack. Like, isn't that just like it's that's tough? Like when you come up against someone like that, it's like you're playing like two opponents. It's like them and their defense. Like it's, it's just you have you feel like you have to win every point two or three times, and that's mentally that's a weapon that they have, and it's undervalued in my opinion.
0: Absolutely, it is so tough when you're playing against great defenders. And as the professional game is changing leaps and bounds, and you've got. Some amazing. You have to be an amazing defender nowadays at that level. All of those folks playing on the pro tour, it's just a must.
1: Absolutely, yeah. You have to be very adept at like just grinding it out a few here and there. That'll be the difference between you winning and losing at that level. Those games are not typically blowouts. Like there's, they're tight. And so if you get that mental edge and you, you know, steal a couple of points where you were in a bit of a jam, but you got out of it, whew, that's like, like really a confidence booster for you. And it's, it is demoralizing for that other team. They don't show it. They do a really good job of not showing it. Like they're even keel emotionally, visibly the whole time. But like, and I like I said, I played high level D1 tennis and it, it gets to you. <laughs> You just have to bring your best shot every time. And sometimes even your best shot won't cut it.
0: I appreciate the advice you've given. You've given some amazing tips and really advanced tips for 4 O's and above. So I really appreciate that. And I know a number of these things that we've talked about today are covered in your Dominating Doubles course. So tell the audience a little bit about that.
1: Sure. Yeah, I have a course out. It's called Dominating Doubles. Fourteen modules. I think a hundred plus videos, somewhere in the neighborhood of three to eight minutes each. And it basically goes a lot deeper and covers everything about strategy in the game of doubles pickleball. So everything I've said and every strategy you know we haven't discussed as far as dinking and and where to dink and how to set up your attack, how to attack where to attack, how to defend where defend so when i say how i don't we don't cover the shot the how to execute the shot but it's 100% strategy um, based so i just wanted to be clear on that like everything that could happen to you and probably will happen to you or has happened to you and how to deal with it and how to be a strategic thinker and assess and adjust and adapt to what's who your partner is and who the opponents are And basically how to solve the puzzle of how to win that game. Because there's no, as we've come back to time and again on this call, there's no one size fits all blanket answer to every situation. You need one, two, or three ways to handle each particular situation. So so that you're not predictable, really. Because once you become predictable, then it becomes easy to take you apart. So the course kind of arms you with the tools on how to think about approaching a doubles match strategically, as well as how to adapt on the fly based on the information that you're getting back from how your attempts so far have gone during those games. I hope, right. was that? I hope that was clear.
0: Yeah, that, that was perfect. I, I love the fact that, especially since it's an online course, a teaching strategy, that's a really effective way to do it. So if somebody is interested in the course, where can they find it?
1: So you'll uh, want to go to primetimepickleball dot com forward slash courses, and that's where you'll find it. Yes, as Lynn said, sometimes I skip over things. But yes, it is an online course and there's a member portal. There's a You'll get a member's account if you decide to sign up and you can revisit the videos as many times as you like. They're always there for you. I have had a few people write in saying that every time they they review the course every time before a tournament. And I was like, wow, okay, that's great. So it's just really, you're going to learn something new every time because you'll have gone out getting, get more experience. Then you'll come back to the course and you'll implement a different strategy that maybe didn't like speak to you as much at the time because you didn't have the experience to necessarily fully be able to execute it at the time. So I I really love hearing those stories as they come back. And, you know, I hope that there will be a story from someone listening here in the future.
0: All right. Well, it was great having you on today, Nicole, anything else that we should know before we finish up.
1: Let's see. Just, yeah, I'm constantly still putting out videos at the Primetime Pickleball YouTube channel. So uh, definitely want to go over there and subscribe and I'll continue to put out free content all the time. So if you're, if that's something you're interested in, you want to improve, then go ahead and do that. You can do that as well.
0: Well, thank you so much again, Nicole. It was great to have you on today. I hope you come on again, maybe uh, sometime in the future too, because what you had to say about all the strategies you're talking about, I think is just amazing and will be so helpful to people's game.
1: I appreciate it, Lynn. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm so happy to be here and this is a lot of fun and I'm happy to share. I really want the sport to continue to grow and anything I can contribute is just really fun for me. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.